You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we start, you actually, I don't know how many of you were in the first service last week. How many of you were in the first service last week? It's no shame here. Just uh, how many of you uh, have not heard last Sunday's sermon? So I would encourage you to, if you haven't, just check it out. You can check it out online. Uh, I talked about the first, really the first half of Daniel chapter 9, which was Daniel's prayer. Daniel prayed, God, if you could just bring us back to the land that we've been exiled from, bring us back to Jerusalem, uh, that would be awesome. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's essentially what he prayed. And he, he prayed, God, in your mercy, we don't deserve to enter back into the land, but in your mercy, would you grant us our land back? And that was his prayer. That's Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Now we get into the very, probably, like verses 25, 24 through 27 is considered, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this, it is considered the most complicated and difficult prophetic passage in the Bible to understand. Okay, so I'm just letting you know. I, I was, uh, not because I got a late start on my sermon, but I did not finish writing my manuscript until last night. I'm just, and, and I just want to comfort you. Um, I tend to be a little on the long-winded side. My typical sermon manuscript is about four to five pages long. When I, around four o'clock yesterday, I was on page eight. And like this isn't going to work. I will, I, I will, they will, they will throw me out of this church or do something or, or, or shoot fireworks at me. Um, so this is a two-part sermon. Uh, I'll, I'm going to deal with the most complicated part of Daniel next week. We'll, we'll start to dive into it uh, this week. How many of you have heard of the year of Jubilee? Okay, so let me explain the year of Jubilee to you. So the year of Jubilee. Israel was commanded, actually. They were told every 49th year after the Day of Atonement, you were to blow the trumpet and celebrate a year of, of, of not working. Um, and during that year, this is what will happen. All prisoners will be, li- will be set free. The captives will be liberated. All debts will be forgiven and released, and any property that was lost to a family will be returned to that family. Now, I mean, imagine if you were living during that time and you were forgiven all your debts. Imagine if that happened now. All of a sudden, you hear this trumpet blown in every city and every town in America, and then you were told, hey, your mortgage, forgiven. Your, your Your car payments, forgiven. Your debts, forgiven. Or if you were a prisoner, you were in prison, and, and uh, your, your, your crime forgiven, and your slate wiped clean, you would, be, you would feel pretty, pretty amazing, wouldn't you? You'd feel very liberated. That's what the, day of Ato- or the, the, the year of Jubilee was meant you know, to, to be, to experience, I mean, for the people to experience in the year of Jubilee. It was also meant to um, keep people from long-term suffrage in terms of poverty and, and debt. And it was an amazing and awesome thing. 
So, in fact, Leviticus chapter 25 is where we read about that, that command or where that command is given, and I'll, I'll just read it for you. It says, you shall count seven weeks of seven years, seven times seven years, that's 49, so that the time of the seven weeks of the years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month on, this is really important, by the way, on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all the inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee to you when each of you shall return to, its, to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you, you, shall, you, or you may eat the produce of the field. All right, so that was the year of jubilee. How many times do you think Israel celebrated the year of jubilee in their lifetime? Zero. Uh, at least there's no mention of them celebrating the year of jubilee in the Bible. And why? My guess is that it was difficult to trust that God would sustain them for an entire year. Um, my guess is pretty difficult to forget somebody, forgive somebody of their debt when they owe you a large sum of money. Uh, there are all kinds of factors that went into why they most likely never celebrated the year of Jubilee. Daniel, as I said last Sunday, Daniel was reading Jeremiah chapter 25. And in that passage, uh, he read about how after 70 years, God would basically punish the king of Babylon and the nation and the Chaldeans for their iniquity. And Daniel prayed. I mean, his heart melted, and he prayed, Lord, please bring us back to our land. Some scholars and theologians believe that the amount of time that the, that the exiles were in Babylon made up for all the years that they ignored the year of Jubilee. And um, as if God was, not only, not only was he disciplining, or did he discipline his people, but he, he gave the land that he had promised to them uh, rest. Daniel, one of the reasons why Daniel prayed was that he was aware of what God promised. He promised that one day, or a day will come where my people will be disciplined, they will go into exile, I will force them into exile, but also there would, a day would come where I will return them back to the land that was promised. On his face, and he just asked God, if in your mercy, we, we don't deserve this, but in your mercy, will you, will you give us back our land? Will you get us back to, to Israel? And his Immediately after that, in verse 20, we're told that Gabriel, on behalf of God, uh, answered Daniel's prayer. But it wasn't the answer that I think Daniel was expecting. You ever pray about something so hard and for so long, and, and either, either it seemed like God is indifferent to your prayers, or you didn't get the answer that you wanted? You ever feel that way? Like, so we had four baptisms last week uh, in this service, and you heard about you heard Dawn's story of how she her grandmother encouraged her to check out Meadowbrook. It dawned on me after uh, after the service. I, I just, the thought occurred to me. You know, Northwest Baptist Church was really really difficult. That's the, for those of you who don't know me. That's the first church I pastored, 
as, as lead pastor. It was considered the most dysfunctional church in our network of churches, in our district of churches. It was really hard. I prayed frequently, Lord, deliver me from this church. <laughs> I, I don't want to be here. And I didn't feel released from the church, so I remained, and I tried, I tried to remain faithful uh, to my call there. It was difficult. I developed a friendship with my cardiologist at the time because the first one I thought I was having a heart. I had multiple panic attacks because of Northwest Baptist Church. The first one I thought I was having a heart attack. It was a panic attack. The congregation um, thought that maybe it was because I didn't have enough potassium because that was the first diagnosis the doctors gave me. So the next Sunday that I came back, there was this huge basket full of bananas waiting for me. But it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of potassium. It wasn't due to my heart condition. It was because of the stress of that church. I prayed often, Lord, deliver me from this church. And uh, he didn't. And it dawned on me after last week, if I had never served at Northwest Baptist Church, Dawn would have never found Meadowbrook Church. And she would have never found her faith in Jesus. Most likely. I mean, because Dawn said that her grandmother, and for those of you who are here, you, you've heard this, but for those of you who weren't, you didn't hear this. Dawn said that her mom, or not her mom, her grandmother, whose name is Ruby, who was a parishioner under my care at Northwest Baptist Church as I served as the pastor there, uh, I, you know, she was a sweet lady. I, I, I really didn't think a whole lot about Ruby after I left. Northwest Baptist Church, after we closed down Northwest Baptist Church and planted Missio Day Fellowship, I didn't think a whole lot about her. Um, she's just kind of a quiet person. But Ruby brought Dawn to church every Sunday when Dawn was a kid. And then when you know, Dawn you know, went her way, grew up as an adult, and then um, spent uh, a, a while uh, just enslaved to an addiction to alcoholism. She shared her story last week where she said that uh, she was in the hospital and had to have two blood transfusions because of, because of her alcoholism. And her grandmother called her, or told her, you need to find Jesus and um, you should check out this church where my former pastor now pastors in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And so I just, I, when I left, when I left yes, last week, I thought, wow, I prayed that God would deliver me from Northwest Baptist Church, but God was doing something there, and what he was doing was he was working out the details so that one day Dawn would find her way into Meadowbrook Church, hear the gospel, believe it, and be transformed as a result of it. That's pretty awesome. I don't know about you, but that's pretty awesome. And there have been other things in my life that, that, that I've, I've thought about. Like, like back in, in the late 80s, you know, uh, the, the government in Burma took, you know, they voted, and Aung San Suu Kyi, if you, don't, if you know who she is, uh, won the election, her party won the election, the government said no, or the military government said no, we're not having that, so they arrested her, and, they bas and, and, and the students basically revolted, and they protested, a lot of them died, a lot of those students were put in prison, uh, they shut down the universities as a result, my father-in-law prayed for the peace of Burma, wanted his people to experience peace, negotiated a ceasefire between the Burmese government and their tribe, uh, spent a lifetime you know, longing for peace in his country. But they shut down the universities, and because of my father-in-law's connections in the United States, Roy Ma, my wife, was able to finish her education at Rochester University in Rochester, New York. 
That's where she saw snow for the first time in her life. And, uh, and uh, was there, finished her, her associate's degree, and decided she wanted to, to learn more about the Bible, so she applied to attend uh, Philadelphia College of the Bible. Uh, several years after that, I applied to Philadelphia College of the Bible. If, God had not, if, if those universities were never shut down, I never would have met my wife. We have a little plaque. It says, from opposite ends of the world, God brought us together. There's a, little, there's a picture of Roy Ma when she's a little, you know, was a little kid, and there's me on a Hot Wheel. And, uh, and God brought us together from opposite ends of planet Earth. God did that. I thought a little more deeply about that. I'm like, well, you know, God laid on the heart, Ola, Ola Hansen, the guy, to bring the gospel to the Kachin people. If God had not done that, I never would have met my wife. Like, I mean, you can trace all these, all these details in your life, but often when we pray, we only pray about things that we perceive, right? Like things that we can see. It's impossible to pray, about, uh, pray specifically for things we, we, we can't see. And so the first thing that Daniel prayed, that, that I see in this passage in verses 20 through 23, is that Daniel prayed for what he could perceive. And what he could perceive was what he read in, Dan, in Jeremiah chapter 25, was that at the end of 70 years, God would judge the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, the empire. He would kill the king, and, and th- that would be that. And so his prayer was, God, get us back to Israel. And he prayed, and he prayed, and it's an awesome prayer, you know, in chapter 9. As he pr- approached God, he, he understood who he was approaching. In fact, if you look at the passage carefully, like in chapter 19, verse 3, he said he turned his face to uh, the Lord, that it is Adonai, that is the sovereign one. He turned his face to the sovereign one. And then it goes on to say that he, he said, I pray to Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, my God, and, and made confession saying, O Adonai, O sovereign one, great and awesome God. It's really important to notice that, that the language that's used in that sentence. Great and awesome God. And then he just spills out his heart. He just... Uh, just, just tells God about how he's feeling and what he longs for for his people and pleads for God's mercy. So he prayed to God, he prayed to a God that he understood who was good in infinite measure, that he is just in infinite measure. Infinite is ongoing, it never ends. That he is love in infinite measure, that he is holy in infinite measure, that he is grace in infinite measure, that he is faithful in infinite measure, in that God doesn't need to improve upon himself. It's one of the themes in Daniel. He doesn't need to improve upon himself. And he just prayed to that God, to the true God, to the one God. And his prayer was answered, but not in the way that he wanted it to be answered. That's my guess, anyway. Um, It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, verse 20, if you have a Bible, it's on a digital device or Bible, you might want to be following along. He says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, that is Jerusalem, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, thats he's an angel, he's the same one who announced the birth of Jesus um, in, in the Gospels, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight, and at the time of the evening of sacrifice, he made me understand, speaking with me, and, and saying, this is what I find uh, really cool, he says, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out 
to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are, what? Greatly loved. So he prays to God, Adonai, the sovereign one, who is what? Great and awesome. And God answers his prayer, and he says, Daniel, I want you to know that I love you. The, the greatness in which I love you is, uh, is as great as my providence. Like, I love you that much. If, you, if you're wondering, well, how does that, you mean God loves me? Like the, 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 the level in which he loves me, the amount in which he loves me is equal to his providence? Yes, I believe that is the case. How do, where do I get that from? All over the Bible. In Jeremiah, uh, the people are reminded that by, by this statement, God says, I, love you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In the New Testament, we're told that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. In Romans chapter 8, and you know this, it's my favorite passage in the Bible, or my favorite chapter in the Bible. It starts off with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it ends with this statement, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from the love of who? God, right? And so God reminds Daniel, I greatly love you. I just don't love you, I greatly love you. And I don't know where you're at right now emotionally and just yeah, and, and regarding things in your life, but I, I, you need to hear this. God greatly loves you. If, you. if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the evidence of his love is that he put his son on a cross in your place and that Jesus rose from the grave. He greatly loves you, regardless of how your prayers are being answered or have been answered. He loves you. You can, like, not understand God. You can not understand the purpose of suffering in your life or the events that have happened in your life. But the thing that has, that has never changed and will not change is, the, is God's love for you. He is doing something that you cannot see. Daniel couldn't see what God was doing altogether. He, he, he just saw 70 years. <laughs> That's what he read in, in Jeremiah chapter 25. 70 years. And... Um, and God was going to tell him, look, I'm going to answer your prayer, but it's not going to be in 70 years. It's going to be 490 years. That's how I'm going to answer your prayer. Which leads me to the second point. God's answer was greater than Daniel's perception, which is always the case. <laughs> like, we just see what's in front of us. God, I mean, this sounds cliche, but he, he sees everything. I've said this in the past. God, you, you know who invented time? God did. He created it. Do you know who stands outside of time? God. Do you know who doesn't? Us. Do you know what we're able to see? What's in front of us? Do you know what God's able to see? Everything. Why? Because he stands outside of time. And, and so God's answer was greater than Daniel's perception. Alistair, have you ever heard of Alistair Begg? Oops, okay, uh, one person. That was like maybe 10 in the previous service. Alistair Begg, I really like him. He, he's a fantastic pastor. He's a great theologian. Uh, he preached on Daniel chapter 9, and what he said echoes exactly how I feel right now uh, because now we're going to get into some of the more complicated verses of Daniel chapter 9. <laughs> he said to his congregation, he said, in what follows, <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind later this evening and as often as necessary for the rest of my life until I finally settle the matter, 
What I'm about to now unfold for you will annoy some, disappoint others, confuse many, and perhaps encourage a few. That, I ditto that, that comment. Like, as we get into this, and then we'll continue next week, my hope is that I will encourage you. My guess is that you, some of you will be uh, confused. I, I, I'm praying that that's not the case, but this is a complicated passage um, for not just myself, but one of the early church fathers even talked about, I read a comment from him of how complicated these verses are. And uh, they are. But there is something there for you and for me. And the whole point of this passage is Jesus. The whole point of this passage is God's faithfulness. The whole point of this passage is that, that he is doing something much greater than we can possibly wrap our minds around. And that's what I want to look at uh, with you. And so uh, one, of the, one of the things that God instilled in his creation, one of the things that he had written in his moral law called the Ten Commandments, was a day of rest. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 and 10, says, this is what the people of Israel were commanded. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we're told we should have a day where we rest um, uh, on the seventh day. I don't think it has to be on Sunday or Saturday. I think it could be whatever, whatever day you know, works for you. I, that's just my take on God's command on the, on the Sabbath. My Sabbath, my day of rest is you know, Sunday preaching. I love that. But also Monday is when I, when I take my, my break. With, he wired that into our DNA. We need rest. Like our bodies need to, to rejuvenate. We, we need to pause and listen to God. Um, one of the reasons why some people can't figure out what the will of God is, is for their lives is because they never pause to listen to him. And, um, and so there's that. And then God instilled for his creation. Like every, every, after every six years, on the seventh year, Israel was to, take, was to give the land a break from, from farming. And then, like I said at the beginning, every 50th year, they were to not only take a break for, or the, give the land a break, but they were to give people a break you know, through forgiving their debts, forgiving their sin, forgiving all these different things. And, uh, and so Daniel was thinking about 70 years. God was thinking, well, God's plan was much more than 70 years. Daniel was concerned about the sins of his people. God was moving all of time and history to, to, to make a way for the sins of his people to be forgiven. And the way that God would accomplish his promise of verse 24 is in verses 25 through 27. So look at verse 24. It says, this is, here's the complicated part, ready? Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish what? The transgression. What's the transgression? Their exile. They were being disciplined for their sins of idolatry and ignoring God and actually turning their backs uh, against God. And so he says 70 weeks, or how many of that? How many weeks is that? That's 490 years. 
Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. So I think this verse 24 is a summary statement that makes sense of verses 25 through 27. Okay, This is going to be important, especially for next week. So what is he going to do? He's going to do six things. There are six things that God is going to do. Six ways that God is going to answer Daniel's prayer in the first 19 verses. So the first is that to finish the transgression. The second, to put an end to sin. The third, to atone for iniquity. The, the, the fourth, to bring in everlasting righteousness. The fifth thing is to seal both vision and prophet. What does that mean? I think it's this. Israel had a history of ignoring the word of God, doubting the word of God through his prophets. And there's coming a time where they will never doubt the word of God again. In fact, we're told in other passages, there's coming a time where God will instill his word on their hearts and that every person will know the Lord. That's a new covenant promise. We'll come back to that later. So, um, so that's the fifth thing, to, anoint, or, or to, to, to seal both the vision and prophet. That is stamp of approval. Don't think of seal like closed up, can't see it, it's a mystery. It's stamp of approval. This is, there's only one who has the authority to, to, um, to say, hey, this, this is my word, and that's the one who spoke it, and that's God, so in this case. And then finally, and to anoint a most holy place. We'll get, back, we'll get to that next week. So that's a summary statement of verses 25 through 27. How is he going to do verse 24? He's going to do it through verses 25 through 27. And... Um, and the greatest need that the people have, and Daniel even realized this in his prayer, is that the people are people who are sinful, and they need their sins forgiven. The reason why they're in Babylon is because of their sin. The reason why they didn't deserve to, be, to re-enter into Israel or into Jerusalem was because of their sin. Their problem has been and always will be up until God uh, creates a remedy is sin. The reason why people are the way they are today in our day and age, the reason why our nation is jacked up, just like every nation in the world is jacked up, is because people are jacked up. We are people that are cursed. And the Bible says that our hearts are, are sick or are desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Well, God can understand our hearts. That is the problem. That is our problem. The reason why there's racial inequality in the world, not just here, but in the world, is because of sin. The reason why millions of babies are aborted every year around the world is because of sin. We are a species that does not value life or honor life because of sin. Daniel prayed for his people, prayed for himself, went before the God of all creation and asked, God, will you, will you forgive us of our sins? We don't deserve it, but would you forgive us of our sins? Will, will you lavish your mercy upon us? Mercy is receiving what you, what you do not deserve. It is, or mercy is refraining from giving you what you deserve. Grace is receiving what you did not deserve. He pleaded for mercy. And so what, what are these, seven, these 70 weeks? Well, the first seven weeks, and he breaks it up into three sections of time or three categories. The first seven weeks are 49 years. In, that, in those 49 years, Jerusalem 
so basically what you had is you had this guy by the name of Ezra. Who heard, who's heard of Ezra? He's in the Bible. Ezra won't be, you know, pleaded or went before uh, the, the king of Persia and, and basically got a, a hall pass to go rebuild the temple, uh, the temple that was destroyed by Babylon. And then who, have you heard of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is the guy who rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And um, it's because of those two guys that uh, Israel began, was, uh, was enabled to be rebuilt again. So God answered Daniel's prayer. He said, you're longing for the end of 70 years, but let me tell you about these, these seven weeks. In those seven weeks, in, in, in 49 years, I will, I will establish Jerusalem again. Uh, why? Because there's something bigger going on. What is bigger going on? Well, that leads us to the next uh, batch of weeks, 40 or 64 years after, after a remnant of Israel found their way back into Jerusalem and Israel. You had the rise of the Empire of Greece. Who was the, who, who was the emperor of Greece eventually? It was Alexander the Great. And what did he do? He Hellenized the known world, or at least he started the Hellenization of the known world. And then what came after Greece? Rome. And what was Rome, what are they known for? What is the Roman Empire known for? They're known for a lot of things, but they're also known for their roads. Right? So you had, by the end of those, uh, of those weeks or those years, 434 years, you had uh, a common language that most people spoke in the known world, and you had a road system that allowed people to travel in the known world. Which leads us to the first century. The end of those uh, 69 weeks. Hmm, interesting, right? I think it's interesting. That at the end of those 69 weeks, there was a child who was born. Or in the midst of those 69 weeks, like towards the tail end of those 69 weeks, a child was born. And that child was, somebody said it, Jesus. It was Jesus. And he lived amongst his people he was born of a virgin. And for about 30 years of his life, he was quiet. He didn't go public with his ministry, because why? It wasn't time. It was in his 30th year that he went public with his ministry, where he went on record to say the Messiah is here. And how did that happen? Well, there was a baptism that took place first. Remember that? Jesus was baptized. Who was he baptized by? John the Baptist. And when he was baptized, there was something that was said from the heavens. And what was said from the heavens? This is my son with whom I am well pleased, right? Jesus was baptized. And then what happened? Jesus went into the wilderness for how many days? Forty days. And what happened in the wilderness? He was tempted for 40 days, which anybody reading the Gospels would, re would recall that Israel spent how many years in the wilderness? Forty years. And did they prove faithful to God during those 40 years? No. They gave in to temptation over and over and over and over again, right? But what did Jesus do during those 40 days while he was tempted? He remained faithful. Why? Why, why is that important in the Gospels? Because Jesus is perfect Israel. <laughs> he is everything Israel couldn't be because of their sin problem. He is the perfect Israelite. He is the perfect human being. I said this before. I'll say it again. It's just important to note. And that is, um, 
What makes you human is not your imperfection or your brokenness or your sinfulness. What makes you human is that you bear the image of the living God and you were created in his image. That's what makes you human. Not your jacked upness, <laughs> your sinfulness. That doesn't make you human. So stop using the phrase, he's only human, or she's only human, because, based on, on the stupid things that we do. Um, so, so Jesus lived this perfect life. I say it almost every Sunday. He lived the life that we could not live. And he died the death that who deserved? That we deserved, right? So, uh, so he's tempted for 40 days in the wilderness by the devil himself, and he resisted the temptation. And then after the temptation, what did he do? He marched right on into Nazareth, his hometown, walked right into a synagogue. They probably all knew who he was because that was his hometown. Nazareth was, I don't know, I mean, it was tiny. It was probably the size of a football field. I don't know, I don't know the, exact thing, the exact size of it, but news <laughs> travels fast. You know, as soon as people start talking, hey, Mary's pregnant, guess what? Cheyenne is, you might think, I mean, that's how people talk in small towns. Um, Cheyenne is, you might think Cheyenne's big, it's small, like, I had a FedEx guy drop off a package and said, okay, have a good day, Pastor Keith. I'm like, who's that? Like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know who that is. So, like, it's, it's small. And then Jesus goes into the, 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 the uh, synagogue, and what does he do? He walks up, and somebody hands him the Isaiah scroll. That's, how, that's what, the, 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 what the Bible looked like back then. They were in the form of scrolls. He wrote, it was opened up to the assigned reading, and what did he read? He read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, as a way of announcing that he is the Messiah, the going public with his ministry. And this is what he read. Now, and I, if you read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that he stopped like mid-sentence towards the end of the passage. And that, that, where he stopped... And where Isaiah begin, you know, continues, is, talks about the judgment of God. But this is what he read. Let's read it together. Ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does that like excite you at all? What does that sound like? That sounds like Leviticus. That sounds like the year of Jubilee, the year that nobody in Israel celebrated. It's as if, God, as if Jesus was saying, I am going to make a reality on an eternal level, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was meant to point to what I am going to make possible. And uh, I believe, and I'm going to unpack this next week, but I believe this is the seventh week, it's the 70th week that Daniel's talking about here. It's staggering. What happens, what happens in the 70th week? And after 62 weeks, an anointed one, anointed in Hebrew is the word Messiah, okay? And prince can mean king, so the Messiah king, the anointed one shall be cut off. What does that mean? That means he died. Um, shall be cut off 
and um, have nothing, and the people of the prince, talking about the same anointed one here, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We'll talk about that next week. Its end shall come to, with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations, or decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant. What's the strong covenant? I don't think it's talking about the Antichrist. It's talking about new covenant. Jesus made a strong covenant. It's called the new covenant. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. Uh, when he held up the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. It's, it's what, and, he, and when you read the book of Hebrews, it says Jesus enacted a covenant that's better than the old covenant. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels because of who he is. And it says, um, for one week, and then for half of the week, he shall, be, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. What happened after three years into Jesus' ministry? He was crucified. How many years are in one week? Seven. What does it say here? He, makes a, he enacts a strong covenant halfway through that seventh week. Jesus went to a cross, and he died. And when he died and breathed his last, we're told that there was a curtain, a particular curtain that tore in a certain temple. So it was the temple where the people worshipped. That curtain was torn that blocked off the Holy of Holies as if God was saying, no longer will there be anything that will stand in the way of people being able to know him and to worship him. Jesus said in Luke chapter, or in Luke chapter 4, when he read the Isaiah scroll, he said, I am bringing about the year of Jubilee. And uh, the way I'm going to do it is through my life, my death, and my resurrection. That's why everybody in the synagogue wanted to kill him after he said that. He sat down after he handed the scroll back to the attendant. He sat down and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And their response was, not yay. <laughs> it was, where's the nearest cliff? Let's throw him off of it. And, and, that's, and the reason being is because Jesus was telling everybody there, I am the son of man that Daniel wrote about in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. That's why they wanted to kill him. And so uh, if you read, the reason why we know that Jesus' ministry lasted three years is because when you read the gospel, the gospel accounts, there were only three Passovers that were told about. He celebrated three Passovers with his disciples after he went public with his ministry. And while on the way to Jerusalem for the last time, this is what he told his disciples. The words will be on the screen. He said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, by the prophets, will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He will rise. Jesus said, I'm doing this so that you can experience the year of Jubilee, an eternal year of Jubilee, where the spiritually blind will see, where those who are spiritually held captive will be liberated. People like Don, you know, people like you, like you can look back in your life and, and see how God has been 
you know, working in your life as a result of the gospel. So this is that part we're going to celebrate communion together, so you can take this out. Um, because on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover for the last time and then to give his life as a ransom for many, as a, an atonement. What's interesting, I'm just going to dial this back to the whole year of Jubilee thing. When was the year of Jubilee started? At the end of the Day of Atonement on the 49th year. And um, Jesus went into Jerusalem. He celebrated Passover with his disciples because he was going to become the Lamb of God who would pay the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53 says this about Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as far as for his generation, who considered that he was, listen, cut off out of the land of the living. That's Daniel 9 language. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken from the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus held up the bread and he said, this bread is my body. It's going to be broken for you. It's going to be pierced for you. Every time you gather together, he's deem you. I'm doing it to make a remedy for your sins. And he said, every time you gather together, he said, take this and eat it in remembrance of me. So let's eat together. Then he held up a cup. There were several, there were, there were a series of cups during Passover. But this one cup he held up and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you. What did he mean by that? He meant, you know, passages, prophetic passages in the Old Testament like Ezekiel that said that I, where God promised, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and a new spirit I will put in you. Passages like Jeremiah chapter 31, which we'll look at next week, where God promised, I will circumcise your heart I will give you a heart of flesh. I will enable you to love me and to obey me, um, something that you can't possibly do yourself. Only I can do it, and the gospel will make that possible. Jesus said, I'm going to inaugurate that. I'm going to make that possible by going to the cross. He said, every time you, go, you gather together, drink this cup in remembrance of him. So let's drink together. Daniel longed for his homeland, but God, what God was doing, what he was working to give Daniel was something far greater. God was moving time and, and history so that the Son of Man could be born and live the life that we can never live and die the death that we deserved and that all who place their faith and trust in him, Jesus, will 
be saved. You will know a joy and a contentment that you were designed to know that's only possible through a relationship with God. The Bible says that all who confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be what? Saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said of himself. And there's this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I want to end with this. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? That is the gospel. I hope this is encouraging to you and that you're more encouraged than confused. I hope that you'll come back and we'll continue working through this passage. And I hope that you have a fantastic celebration uh, today as we celebrate you know, our nation and all the great things that God has done, is doing, and will do you know, in, this, in this nation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Daniel chapter 9. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.